0: Please turn with me to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation when his breath departs he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish blessed is he whose help is the god of jacob whose hope is in the lord his god who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry the lord sets the prisoners free The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come before you praising you for who you are. And we praise you, Father, that you have sent your son to die on the cross so that by faith we can look to him and find our forgiveness. And thank you, Father, for enabling us to be called your children. And we pray that, Lord, that even though when we go through trials of various kinds and when we do not feel like praising you, We pray that, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts to worship you as we sit under the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the world, there is this ongoing tension or combat in our souls between trusting in man and trusting in God. It is an issue of focus. It is an issue of worship. It is an issue of dependence. What we worship is what we depend on. And what we depend on is what we will focus on. And that focus will drive us in one direction or the other. What is needed in our minds, what is needed in our hearts, in our souls, to combat this trust in man that is so much in part of our nature, What is it that will keep us looking to the Lord? Not our circumstances, not to other people, not to ourselves. The answer is found here in Psalm 146. And that is praise. It is God-centered praise that is conscious, deliberate, obedient praise to the Lord that will govern our thinking process. It will dictate what we will focus on, and it will affect the affections of our hearts. So see with me in Psalm 146, in verses 1 and 2, and we will see this first point. The psalmist is resolving to praise the Lord. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The psalmist resolves to praise God. We are made to worship. We are by nature who give praise. So even though we are not quite sure who wrote this psalm, we know there is something about this man that is actually same for all of us. The psalmist finds himself in the need to give praise. We are all worshipers. Christians are not only the people who give praise. It is not a distinctively Christian thing to do. Each of us, Christians or not, Worship Each of us ascribe praise to something. I mean, we praise people. We praise things all the time. We look for things that are worthy of praise, that are praiseworthy, and we give them our admiration and our delight. So the psalmist begins with these two imperatives, followed by his own personal commitment or resolve. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, four times in those verses, the word praise is used. Really, the word praise the Lord in Hebrew is hallelujah. And this is a plural, and this is a command. So it is like the psalmist is saying, you all praise God. Hallelujah. You all praise, which is hallelujah. And at the end of the word ja is the shortened form of the name Yahweh. Hallelujah. You all praise God. You all praise Yahweh. So the psalmist gives a command to his audience. And then he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. He speaks to himself. He gives the command to himself. Focus on the Lord. Thank the Lord. Glorify the Lord. And there is great lesson in that for us. The psalmist is dealing with reality. He knows the Lord deserves the praise and that his soul needs to praise the Lord. He speaks to himself because there are times in our lives when praising God is not easy. There are moments when it is hard to praise God. Think about what we are going to do during the difficulties that roll into our life. And it is not easy to hear from a preacher or the Bible that you should praise God all the time that even in those moments when there is that difficult thing that is going on we can choose to praise God because no matter what the difficult thing is we can look at that difficult thing and we can say I know God I know you God you are my life I know that this is a thing that I am not expecting but God you are good and my status with you has not changed And even in the midst of this difficult thing, I can say, soul, praise God. And not only that, but because of who God is, I can commit to a lifetime of praise. While I have my being, he plans to do this for the rest of his life. The psalmist is committing that this is not just for a moment, but for all times. Now I know when we hear the words praise, I know what comes to our mind is singing. Just like when we hear the word church, what comes into our minds? Sometimes building. But just like how, how a church is more than a building, praise is just more than singing. See, it is right for us to sing praises to God even if we can't sing. It is right for us to sing because it is a sweet sound in God's ear. But singing is just one aspect of praise. There is also talking And it is also living. So we praise God in different ways. So the psalmist commits himself in verse 2. He says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He's not a man who commands others to do what he himself is not willing to do. He commands the people to praise God. And then he commands to himself, he talks to himself. And let me just offer a point of application here. I think this is a great commitment to make. To commit praising Lord at all times. And here are some action steps that you can make. You can just take a couple of songs that we sing at Grace Church and commit them to memory. And then when you are standing in the line, or you are in the car, stuck in traffic, or when you are mopping the floors or doing laundry, Wherever you, you, you get a dead space, you better start rehearsing these songs. And when you do that, you will find your soul lifted up. You will find yourself borne up on the wings of the eagle if you'll commit yourself to sing praise, if you'll put yourself in a position to praise. And so it is good to commit ourselves to praise the Lord while we have our being. It means if there is still air in our nostrils, we can commit to do this. Not when we feel like or when we are in the mood or when things are going in the way that they are supposed to go. But while I have my being, I will praise the Lord. As long as I live, I will praise the Lord. He then proceeds to give us a reason to not trust in man. Verse 3 and verse 4 explain why we should not trust humanity ultimately and finally. So look at verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. This is more than him just saying, "Don't don't trust the government. I think most people will agree with that. We have seen the governments fail. Governments have failed all kinds of peoples in all kinds of ways. All governments all over the world have failed all kinds of people. All princes, all human kings, they have failed their subjects. They are not up to the task. But then he goes further than that in the rest of verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation." Listen to what he is saying. Don't listen to somebody that cannot save you. Prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 31 verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And you might be thinking at this point, with this phrase, do not put your trust in princesses in a son of man. And you might be thinking, I thought son of man is a way of referring to the coming son of man, Jesus. Yeah, but this is a different son of man because this is a son of man that cannot save. And then look what it says of this son of man that cannot save in verse four. The psalmist says, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, think of this imagery for a moment. Now, we have a man who has put his hope and trust in this prince and or this person for all of his life. And suddenly, this prince is gone one day. And what would the man do once this prince is gone? He will be clamoring and frantically searching to another prince or a successor who can make him feel safe so that he can trust. But do you see in this imagery the folly of this man? He will again be in that position when this next prince's breath is taken away from him. So what we see here is that there is no salvation in man. The man cannot give us the hope, the assurance, the confidence that we so desperately need. But yes, it is true, often the Bible refers to Jesus as the Son of Man. But we are not talking about Jesus here, because Jesus can save. And when Jesus died, his plans did not perish, In fact, his plan is being accomplished because three days later he raised from the dead and no death will ever stop him again. In Isaiah, it was planned and we see how the son of man will be treated. Isaiah 53 verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely He was borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. And because of His death, Jesus' death and His resurrection we are now healed of our sickness and sin and called by faith the children of God because he is trustworthy. This prince is trustworthy. Not man, not princesses, but the true prince of peace, the Lord of lords, can only save. So what this verse is saying is, do not trust humanity. Do not look to humanity to do for you what Only God can do for you. So I would encourage you to stop to think for a moment and ask yourself today, what am I trusting? What am I looking to? Are you looking to the government to make all things right? Are you looking to the rulers to keep you safe? You know, if you listen carefully to the promises of politicians or media figures or social media influencers, they will start to sound like religious figures. They will start sounding like they can or they know the answer to heal all the world's hurt. Like they are going to make everyone safe and happy. But they cannot do all of those things. They will plan, but with them, their plans will perish. And they shouldn't be making those promises, but they do. And don't trust them, for their plans will perish or maybe you're trusting in others, or maybe you're trusting in yourself. I know that in my own heart, I am tempted to trust in my own efficiency and diligence. I'm tempted to trust my abilities to accomplish everything that I need to pull off. And the text is telling, we do not put our hope in somebody that cannot save, and that includes us. Don't trust humanity. Don't trust yourself. But you might say, there are many things a man can do. Like if you're drowning in a lake, you would like for a man to come and save you. Yes, that's true, he can help you. A man can do that for you. A man can do a lot of things for me. My car breaks down on the side of the road, who do I need? A pickup truck guy? Or who can try and help me jumpstart my car? But what is evidenced by this call that there is no salvation is man, is the realization that we need a whole lot more than we often think. Our situation is often much more difficult than what we think it is. And when we think we have only small problem, then we only have small saviors in our lives. Don't we do this all the time? We think, I need a little help here, I need a little help there, and I'm pretty good. I have learned to do this Christian thing, I have been in that situation before, and I figured out how to come out of it. I've got a hang of this. My life is pretty sorted out, and all of that, my friends, is not necessarily wrong, but if you think carefully, there is no necessary thinking, oh God, I need you. I am dependent on you. We need you. Think about this. What makes you confident that you will wake up tomorrow, Saturday morning, still being a Christian what makes you confident about that if you are honest with yourself do you think you need the power of the Holy Spirit God to keep you I need Jesus' intercession on my behalf I need God I don't need man what do you think trust God where is your confidence when we put our hope and trust in man we are not saved but we are in bondage. We are guilty of idolatry. It is that plain. It is that simple. Instead, the psalmist says, let us put our trust in the Lord. And finally, he gives reasons to trust in the Lord. Four reasons to hope in God. That is what we will see in verses 5 to 10. It is like the psalmist says, okay, we got these people who trust people, and there are these other people And the people are happy because their God is the God of Jacob. Verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. In other words, there is a great contrast between the person who puts their trust in princesses, in mortal man, and the one who puts the trust in the Lord, who, who looks to God of Jacob to be his helper. The object of his hope, the object of his faith, is the Lord, his God. Not in anything that he can see in this earth. If you place your hope in anything other than the Lord, the God of heaven and the earth, that is going to fail you at some point or the other. But if your hope is in the Lord, your God, you can praise God like the psalmist. Because the Lord, your God, he will never disappoint you or he will never fail you. You may be disappointed in the way things work out for you. You may be like, because it has not gone the way that you want it to go, but He is God, and He will do what He has promised to do. So the first reason why we praise God is because He is powerful. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, And look at how he talks about God in verse 6, the last part. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. This is like the psalmist is putting the right place to the idols that the people used to worship during those days. They had gods of the seas. They had the storm god. And then they had the god of the lands and the god of the heaven and the underworld. And this psalmist is saying, no, this is the god of all those places, and the Lord of all those places. If we take just a moment and look up and look around, even as you're driving here from Sharjah to Rat, each Friday, even as you look out of the window and see that vast desert and think, God made them, that is more significant. And he made the sea and all that is in them. We, light, we live right here near the Persian Gulf. And we can just look at this vast waters and pick some and look at the substance and say, I didn't make it. My next door neighbor didn't make this. The sheikhs of this land didn't make this. God made this and he made all that fills the sea and everything in it. Friends, I don't know every aspect of your life, but I suspect that there are things that you are tempted to look to that are not God in different realms of your life. And what this text is saying is that the God of the Bible is the Lord in every one of those realms. In every one of those realms, when you are tempted to erect an idol for whether it is financial need or pleasure or influence over other people, in every one of these realms, God is God, and He made the heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. So we should hope in God. Because God is the one who made everything. We see, and according to scriptures, He made them in six days. God is powerful. This is the truth that should fuel our faith. This is the truth that should fuel our praise. And then look at the end of verse 6. Who keeps faith forever? This word keeps, this is the word that can mean guard or protect. And that word faith, it can mean truth. So in another way, God keeps truth. He protects truth. He preserves truth forever. God is the one who upholds the truth, and truth is the one that enables our faith. God made the world, and God sustains and preserves and protects truth forever, as long as the world lasts and beyond. When we are afflicted, and the first thing we forget is God is powerful that He is sovereign, that He is able. And then in verse 7, we see that He is the God that executes justice for the oppressed. That's the second thing that we will learn. We can praise God because He executes justice for the oppressed. We can see that even in First Thessalonians, the title that is given to God It is that he is the avenger. He executes justice for the oppressed. Are you oppressed? Falsely accused? Are you slandered? Have you been pushed down or backed into a corner? Bible says, God is the avenger and he will execute justice. We don't have to avenge ourselves. Vengeance belongs to God. He can do it and we can hope in him. There will be some things that we can never avenge ourselves, but God can do that. God can execute justice. God did not create the world so that evil men take advantage of the weak. God will protect the oppressed. The oppressors will be called to an account their end will come and the text goes on the god will give food to the hungry everyone who eats will be provided for ultimately by the lord and in the middle of verse 7 at least in your english standard version it is formatted with a gap there if you see between who gives food to the hungry and the lord sets the prisoner free that is because the text seems to turn into a new direction away from creation and providence, now to salvation. So the third reason that we can praise God is because He saves and He's compassionate. And the way it is worded, the next five statements here in verse 7b through 9, all start with the word, Lord. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. And so all these statements of what the Lord does are proclamations of the glorious actions of God. So let us look at these verses in detail. Look at the end of verse 7. The Lord sets prisoners free. This may sound familiar to you, even we can see that in Psalm 105, verse 20, the verse talks about Joseph, it is worded exactly in the same way. The Lord, through Pharaoh, set Joseph free. What the Lord did for Joseph is the kind of thing that he will do to his people. Think about Joseph's situation. He was in prison in Egypt, he was in no way in a position to getting out of prison. He was not going to deliver himself, and altogether, in an unexpected way, he comes out of prison and he is at the right hand of the Pharaoh. And so that only in respect to the throne is Pharaoh greater than Joseph. This is the way God saves his people, inexplainable by human understanding. The Lord sets the prisoner free. There is a great imprisonment that Paul describes in Romans chapter 6 when he speaks of how all creation is under the bondage of corruption. We are slaves to sin. There is no way we are getting out of sin and condemnation that is coming upon us if God didn't come down with the keys to set us free. And in the way that the Lord liberated Joseph is the way God is going to liberate all creation from bondage to corruption. We in ourselves cannot overcome death We in ourselves cannot raise ourselves from the dead. But the Bible is telling us, because Christ rose from the dead, God is happy to forgive those who trust in Christ. And he will raise them from the dead. And he will be able to set them free from the bondage of corruption. And then he goes on in verse 8. He says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And here we see his compassion. Because when God deals with us who have this blindness, he just doesn't grant truth, but he grants sight to see that truth. The word of God is in this world. The truth of God is being made known. We have a complete, perfect, and sufficient revelation of God in Christ recorded in the scriptures. But the fact that the light itself is shining does not mean that everybody simply sees the light. Suppose there is a dark room and there are no windows there and no source of any ambient light and the room is full of rich treasure And there is a man in that room What is the problem? Why can the man not see the treasure it is because the room is dark you might say Now somebody can turn the lights on and now the man can see the treasure because the light is on No, he cannot Because the man is in the room is blind. So not only is it necessary that the treasure be illuminated by the light that shines upon it, but it is also needful that the blind man be given the eyes to see. So that he can apprehend what is in the room. So that he can lay his eyes upon that treasure. The Lord gives light and He gives sight. And Christ in his person, Christ in his ministry was described as the light of the world. He was the light that came into the world. And he was the one who gave sight to the inwardly as the outwardly blind. So these two themes, liberty for the captives and sight for the blind, these two things are commonly put together in the Old Testament to talk about the restoration of all things. To talk about the day when he will raise the dead. And he will give sight to the blind and he will heal the lame and make all things new. There will be no flaws in the resurrection bodies. A future glory is being prepared for us. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. And then he says, the Lord lifts those who are bowed down. And then he says, the Lord loves the righteous. He not only knows the right from wrong, but He delights in the righteous. Now, let's think of these verses together. The Lord sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind, and He loves the righteous. That means the Lord saves His people. This passage is talking about God being the Savior of His people. So, the Lord loves the righteous. And look at verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners... He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. We are sojourners in this world, often feeling not at home. And what does God do every day? He puts his eyes on us. He sees, he says, I see you. I care for you. Just like in the wilderness, the people of Israel had the pillar of cloud in the day and the pillar of fire in the night, he watches over us. God used Israelites to lead them for their 40 years in wilderness. In the same way, He watches over us and protects us for eternity, as long as we are sojourners on this earth. But the way the wicked, He brings to ruin. This is God, the God of justice mingled with compassion and mercy. He becomes the father to the fatherless. He becomes the husband to the widow. There are precious widows in this congregation who live a life of faith in God and trust in God. And you know, God upholds you. God strengthens you day and day, moment by moment. And He upholds you. What a beautiful picture it is. And this, and for those who are fatherless, He is there for them. It is God who is showing compassion and care to you. He has adopted you through His Son and He provides for you. And He brings the wicked to ruin. He is so tender that He cares for the widows and the fatherless. And He is so powerful that He brings to ruin the wicked. He is all powerful. He is just. He is compassionate. He saves those who need to be saved. And our minds should shift to our Lord Jesus, who is the perfect blend of all these truths. We see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where it says, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. And found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You see that same language? Liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you know what the text says? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Everyone was looking at Jesus. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is Jesus, the embodiment of all that is described of Yahweh in Psalm 146. And then finally, God, he is the king. There's a fourth reason to hope in him and praise him. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The Lord will reign forever. Lord's kingdom will have no end. And so our minds should consciously look to Jesus, who is the king of kings. He is coming again, and he is going to reign forever. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 146, verse 10. God promised David that a king will always reign on his family's throne. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the son of David. And as the son of David, he will reign on that throne forever and ever. And he's coming again to judge all. What is to be our response to all of this that we have heard? We respond by saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his unlimited power. Praise Jesus because he is always just. Praise Jesus, he is the one who saves and he is the one who is compassionate. Praise Jesus for he reigns and he will reign forever and ever. And all of that is true, regardless of anything that you and I will ever experience in this life. The way of man will perish. The princes of the world will, and their plans will perish with them. But our Lord reigns forever. Friends, our experience might change, but our God, He never changes. Trust Him. Praise Him. He is worthy He is worthy. Friends, we will not and cannot praise God or trust God by just telling to ourselves, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. Or we will not just praise God by telling to ourselves, I'll praise Him, I'll praise Him, I'll praise Him. No, we will never be able to do that. But we see in this last verse, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all the generations praise the lord he's summoning them to praise the lord because he has in his mind all of these truths about who god is when we meditate on who god is we are reminded of who god is and that stirs us up to praise him in spirit and in truth so if you're struggling with trusting in god or praising god meditate on these glorious truths don't just tell to yourself trust, try, I want to trust God, trust God. When I think of this, God, and think of who we are, even again in this text, we have not loved righteousness as He has. We have not been just as He has been. We have not cared for the widows and the fatherless. We had not given food to the hungry. And how in the world this God can be my God, How can he be my God? Oh Zion, Zion where God dwells, how can he dwell with me? Oh friends, because that is because of Jesus. We can have this God as our God. We can trust in this God who works in our life and strengthens us to love and love everyone and do good deeds because he lived the life we never lived and died on the cross for our sins in our place and rose triumphantly from the grave three days later. And because of his righteousness, which by faith becomes ours, we can now trust him and we can now glorify him. May God give us grace to look to Christ, to praise God and worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Father, We praise you, for you are a glorious God. Your beauty and your majesty and the truths about you are beautiful. And forgive us, Father, that we fail to see your beauty and majesty in your word often. Help us, Lord, to understand how you are just, how we are all-powerful, Help us, Father, to see how you set the prisoners free, and may we look at our own lives and rejoice in the finished work of Christ, and by faith, live for your glory. Help us, Father, to not complain and grumble in our lives, but to know that in the midst of all of this, you are a good and gracious God, and you love us, and you gave your Son for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.